So it is uh, July 10th, 2013. Uh, our message is called Broken Kingdom. Broken Kingdom, if you're taking notes. We're going to begin in Proverbs 27 and verse 9. You already heard my disclaimer before we started. This is one of those where I will do my best to preach and listen at the same time. Uh, not my strongest attribute, what we're going to talk about tonight. And all the more reason to boldly proclaim what the kingdom teaches us and him ourselves in to live exactly what the word says. Can you say amen? amen. Can you give me a better amen than that? Amen. Can you help a preacher out tonight? That's amen. all I'm saying. So in Proverbs 27, in verse 9, perfume and incense bring joy to the heart. And the pleasantness of one's friend springs from his earnest counsel. What two wonderful things are we talking about in this verse? We find the comfort and joy that comes from having a friend that is good counsel close to you. And that initial feeling when your loved one walks in the room and you smell and go, oh, it's you. Anybody in here fall in love? Come on, anybody in here fall in love? Guys, you're about to get in trouble if you don't answer. Come on, anybody in here fall in love? I remember Jennifer and I were 15 years old, and I don't know what she was wearing. I don't know anything else, but I know the first time I held her hand and looked in her eyes, my senses were overwhelmed. I was in love. There is something beautiful about all of our sensory input, and it's like a perfume, the Bible says. It relates friendship and perfume in this verse. Wise counsel and the pleasantness of incense. I would like to tell you that there is something that God is trying to relay here. How many of you want to be a friend of God? Amen. Turn with me to Luke 7. When you get to Luke 7, find the 30th verse and then say, I'm there, Pastor. Luke 7 and verse 30, two are there, the rest are coming. But the Pharisees and experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. The Bible boldly declares that John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. It is that life that has hit a brick wall and said, you know what? I am not headed the right direction. I have to repent. I have to teshuba. I have to turn around. The way that I was going is unacceptable to God and me both. And the leaders in Israel refused that baptism. And in doing so, they rejected God's purpose. This lets us into a little secret. God's purposes and our direction are often in conflict with each other. They're often diametrically opposed. Listen to what Jesus says here. To what then can I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace calling out to each other. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. What does that imply? When you hear the flute, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to dance, even if you're Baptist. We sang the dirge and you did not cry. What happens when you sing the dirge? Supposed to cry. In other words, some actions deserve a certain reaction. You expect that when you say hello to someone, what do they say? Hello. 
I got upset with my son today. I said goodbye on the phone, and he hung up without saying goodbye. It's not particularly rude on his part. It just didn't occur to him. It's very practical. If I was done with the conversation, so was he. But the thing is, yeah, amen. There's a few out there that feel that. The thing is, there is a reaction that we're supposed to have when we realize God is telling us we are headed the wrong direction. He is looking for a certain response from us. And that response is like the pleasantness of perfume. It's like friendship with God. Listen to how this goes. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine. And you say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking. And you say here is a glutton and a drunkard. A friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by our actions. They didn't like the way John abstained, and they didn't like the way Jesus indulged. No matter what the tune was, you simply could not get them to dance. Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life, what kind of life, church? Oh, my goodness. What will be written about us? When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town. Have you ever noticed when people tell you about their sinful life? It was in some other time and some other place. It happened in a galaxy a long time ago and far, far away. We're okay with saying we sinned. We are not okay with saying I just sinned or I sinned here or you're aware of my sin. This woman was known in her town as a what? sinful woman but praise god at least she knew what she was who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that jesus was eating at the pharisee's house she brought an alabaster jar of perfume and as she stood behind him at his feet weeping she began to wet his feet with her tears then she wiped them with her hair and kissed them and poured perfume on them when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Before we get on to what Jesus says about this, why is it that men who know so little of themselves are so quick and so accurate to point out what's wrong with everyone else? They've not spent enough time looking into a mirror of God's word, finding out what's wrong with us. We're sure we know what's wrong with everyone else. Now, this woman's reputation preceded her. The woman didn't question she was a sinner. Jesus never questioned she was a sinner. Apparently, the whole town knew she was a sinner, but at least she knew what she was. Because now Jesus is in the house of a leader. He's standing there, and all he can see is what is wrong with everybody else. Oh, you ever had tunnel vision, saints? Ever had a log in your eyes so that you have trouble with your neighbor's speck in theirs? When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, we read that. Verse 40, Jesus answered, Simon, what's his name, by the way? Simon. Simon the Pharisee here. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. I imagine he was expecting something complimentary from Jesus. I mean, after all, when he compared himself with the dinner guest, he's looking pretty good, isn't he? Two men owed money. 
to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he canceled the debts of both. Now, which one of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, I, I, did you get that? Who did he turn towards? And who is he speaking to? Oh, my goodness. Have you ever been in the presence of a teacher and you didn't realize you were the one being taught? Matthew and I walked up on a pastor named Abel. He simply offered us some food in Mexico. Seemed like a peasant, to be honest. And before long, the master had opened the word of God. And he began to lay waste to our very spirit and souls. We were groveling on the floor asking for repentance and help and an anointing like that guy has in a few minutes. At least we understood when he began to speak that we were in the presence of somebody that had a grasp on the kingdom we hoped one day to have. But you have to know there's many people that will hear the tune and they will never turn around. This is a disease, friends. It's a disease that's caused by hardness. When something is hard, it's hard to break. When something is hard, it doesn't easily break into pieces. And this is a problem because we're a part of a broken kingdom. Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. What a contrast. We have a man who is a leader. And we have a woman who is a sinner. We have a man who believes he's been forgiven very little and a woman who believes she's been forgiven very much. Which one knew their condition? And which one was truly blessed? This will make you think twice about the right that you have to be right. It will make you think twice about arguing about who wronged who. The one who has been forgiven very much is the one who loves very much why on earth would we fight to be justified in the eyes of anyone except our God I told you this is a message that I'm still working on let me let me explain why let us go to mark 14 can y'all live with a pastor that is imperfect do you expect that I'm striving for perfection because I expect it of you so we have a little agreement then We'll be patient with each other, but we will not put up with each other as we are today. We'll be patient, but we will expect change. We will expect the Spirit of God to move in us towards the kingdom of God. We will not compromise and accept life as it is today. Tomorrow, we will love Jesus more than we do today. The day after that, more than the day before. And we will progress with an increasing veracity towards the living God. Anybody in here up for that? You don't sound like it. Anybody in here up for that? Yes. In the name of Jesus, we find in the 14th chapter of Mark one of the most difficult concepts for this particular pastor. While he was in Bethany, verse 3, 
reclining at the table of the home of a man known as Simon the leper. Earlier, we had a man named Simon who was a Pharisee. Now we have a man named Simon who is a leper. That'll make you wonder. We'll lay aside whether or not it was the same event, and instead we'll simply call it a similar occurrence. A woman came with what kind of jar? An alabaster jar. A very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. In the previous story, Simon was an exalted leader. In this story, Simon is a leper. How many men see themselves as great in God's eyes and God looks and calls them something that is leprous? And how many women see themselves as sinful and God calls them forgiven and righteous? You find out that our powers of perception fail us. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. You notice how Jesus is always the defender of the weak. Jesus is always standing between those who are angry and think themselves righteous and those who are broken and think themselves poor in spirit. It's such a hard thing for us to do, to see ourselves as poor in spirit. We quote Matthew 5, 3, fine. But when somebody asks you how you're doing, what do you say? Come on, Judah, how are you doing? What do you say? Fine. fine. Whether you're fine or not. I was standing at a swimming pool the other day with my closest friends. And at the swimming pool, we're all hanging out. You know, we did the things guys do. One walks out and does one flip. So the next one walks out and does two flips. One does a backflip, and then the other does a flip with a twist, right? I think we even had a gainer represented by Brent Vincent. That's a pretty amazing thing. This is what guys do at the pool, right? We're just goofing off. And then our sons began to wrestle with us, and I was talking to somebody. And while I was talking to them, I had just got through doing what preachers do. Big bloated windbag. I got to the end of my sentence, and I needed to take a breath. And my little 12-year-old latched on to me with a rear naked choke. Y'all seen those on TV? Anybody? I hope you don't see one in person. He sunk it in deep. I remember reaching backwards, and that was about it. I came to, my son choked me out at a swimming pool. I came to, to my wife standing in front of me, going, it's okay, it's okay. And I did my best to smile, and oh, okay. I was quiet for the next 15 or 20 minutes. You know why? I was broken, but I didn't tell anybody. I didn't know where I was. I was trying to gather from the conversation around me what had happened, and I wasn't sure. It was some hours after the event that I could remember the event. Somebody put their arms around my neck and so cut off the blood flow to my brain that it actually resembles and produces the same effect as a stroke. You know what the first words Jennifer was saying? You okay? Are you okay? What did I say? Yeah, yeah, I'm great. I literally thought that I'd just woken up from a dream where I dropped my cell phone into a swimming pool. I didn't know where I was. I was standing with my closest friends, and you know what I couldn't do? 
I couldn't say, guys, I, I don't even know what day it is or how I got here. And this strikes me as something that is a problem. <laughs> Does it strike you as a problem? When we cannot really tell anybody where we're at because we're used to telling everybody we're fine. We think that in projecting strength and projecting everything is okay. We think in projecting stability that what we're doing is showing people the kingdom and what you're really doing is showing them your own right arm. This woman came. Everybody knew she was a sinful woman. What an awkward thing. She walked into the house of a Pharisee. Later we find out he's probably a leper. If it's the same event. For argument's sake tonight, you Bible scholars put away your Bible difficulties passages. And let's just suppose that it's the same event. They both have a very great need. But one is able to admit their need. She may be a sinner, but where did she crash, friends? She crashed at the feet of Jesus. We have another man there who has a flesh-eating disease that is going to rob him of his ears and his nose and his fingers. And because he's a leader, he cannot bring himself to ask for help. He can only look at the woman and mock her for the help she needs. Beginning to see why I thought this might be hard to preach. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will have with you always, and you can help them anytime you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. Did she do a great thing? Did she do the best thing? She did what she could, and he calls it a beautiful thing. Friends, what I have may not be enough. It may not be the best. It may not be the tops, and that's okay. It's what I have to give. We don't have to be super pastors, super apostles, super Christians. We just have to be honest about what we have to give. Have to be honest about where we are. She did what she could. She poured the perfume on my body beforehand to prepare me for my burial. It's as if she knew that her brokenness and his brokenness would somehow identify. I tell you the truth. Wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And that prophecy of Jesus, we are fulfilling right now. What was the beautiful thing? While standing in the home of a man who was leprous but saw himself as a leader. She knew what she was. And she didn't bring maybe what he had at his disposal. But she brought all she had. And she put it at his feet. Can you say that in brokenness there's a certain kind of openness? See, when we're all together, you don't really know what's going on inside. And when we're all together, you can hide a great deal inside. Your makeup is just so. Your job is just so. Your life is just so. And it produces a message that says, I'm okay and you're okay. Let's just get along, okay? But what if that's not the case? What if inside you're dying? What if inside you're being ravaged by sin? What if inside you're just thinking, I could fall at the feet of Jesus. And the biggest drawback are those who are around you. 
that might not understand. Friends, this is a devilish trap. What kind of jar did she bring him? She brought him an alabaster jar. This comes from alabastry, Egypt. It's a kind of white marble substance. It's really kind of pretty. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. She broke that jar just like she broke her life at the feet of Jesus. Leprous leaders who are not broken by sin find no favor with God. But a sinful woman who's broken by her own state goes home forgiven. And hear this, church. Heaven tells her story. Heaven tells her story. And what was her story? Sinful, but broken at the feet of Jesus. And she goes home a hero of heaven. Why do we worry about what people think? Why do we look around us as if we have to project that we got it all together when the truth is we might be in the dark room of God's developing? We might feel so far out in the desert that we may never make it to the promised land, and yet you haven't given up. You might be the olive tree of God, but you feel as if you were beaten with the cat of nine tails. Why do we say it's fine when it's not? Because the truth is, we don't often spread perfume for our friends. We don't see beautiful what God sees as beautiful. You ever thought about the word intimacy? Right? We're uncomfortable with that word. We think a husband and wife have intimacy, but we don't think of having intimacy with each other. As the body of Christ, we should know each other intimately. Well, What do you mean by that, Pastor? I mean we should be able to see into each other. Intimacy should be that you can see into me. And whatever God is doing, whether it's positive or it feels negative, whether it projects me as well or projects me as in need of a Savior, allowing you to see that is supposed to do something for all of us. Can you say amen? Amen. We go through our communion ceremonies and we break bread. And we drink wine and we pledge that we'll be broken in the same way. But when is the last time you ever shared your brokenness with anyone? We live in a church that never says they're sorry. We live in a church that never sins. We just have weaknesses. We live in a church that says I'm fine when I'm not. I'm fine until you can prove I'm not. I'm fine unless you have it on videotape. I'm fine unless you already talked to my brother who I told and forgot I told him and I wished he hadn't told you. Church, there is power in brokenness. There is so much power in brokenness. Heaven tells the story of the broken, not the together. Heaven tells the story of the weakling that overcomes. Heaven tells the story of the little nation that overcomes. Heaven tells the story of the would-be leader that is hiding in a threshing floor but overcomes. Heaven is the story of the broken. You know where the first occurrence of brokenness in the Bible is? It's it's an interesting place. (laughs) Turn with me to Genesis. When you get to Genesis, turn to the 17th chapter. When you're in the 17th chapter, say there. Are you all all right tonight? How many of you just lied? Let me say this. We're going to walk out of here all right. In the name of Jesus, heaven's going to tell our story because we're going to get real with our God. We're going to get real with each other. And in that brokenness, it'll be like perfume spread at the feet of the Savior. 
in that brokenness, it'll be like the closeness of a friend who gave good counsel. You might say, you're not okay and I'm not okay, but he is and we're getting that way. Here comes Genesis 17. This is the first occurrence of broken in all of the Bible. Any uncircumcised male, Genesis 17, verse 14. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh. Don't you love when the Bible's redundant? Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh. It's like he really wants to make sure you understand what we're talking about. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. What an intimate thing. How would you know? I mean, how would you know? Do you show up at the synagogue and show your ID? How does that work? Who would ever know? But God would know. He would know whether in that most intimate place, in that most hidden place, you had allowed yourself to be cut for his covenant. See, this is where we are when we come to church. Maybe nobody knows because they just can't look, you know. Have you been circumcised in your heart? Are you cutting away flesh? Are you simply hiding what's there? You know, there's a danger in much church attendance. You can go so much that you can fall asleep right in the light. But when a sinner walks through that door that has just come from hell on earth, when he walks in, he's so convicted by the presence of God, he's waiting for the ceiling to fall on him. But your 10,000th service is not always that way, is it? Sin can become trite even. Well, I know I'm forgiven. Do you? You know, we, we say all of these things. I, well, I know I'm forgiven. Do you really know you're forgiven? Or has it become so greasy, this grace, that you announce your forgiveness before you commit your sin? Oh, come on. Am I not preaching to anybody? See, you get caught in this struggle, don't you? If you allow yourself to feel forgiven too quickly, then your sin was cheap. Of course, if you torture yourself for a while and agonize over it for a while and maybe dwell in shame for a, for a little while, then uh, we're kind of adding to the cross in some strange way, aren't we? So what do you do? I think it's supposed to break you to pieces inside. I think it's supposed to make you eternally grateful for the forgiveness you're receiving and so grateful that you don't want to sin anymore. You'd rather be ripped into the four corners of the earth. Anybody broken over sin? I don't mean broken over somebody else's sin. We hate everybody else's sin and we love our own. We talk in terms of other people's sin as sin and in terms of our own weakness as weakness. Personality disorder. Why is he acting like he's just tired? We never say he's, he's a wretched sinner. Why, why are they, why are they, why'd they act that way? He's just having a bad day. We don't say we sin. And so we're not so broken over sin. The first occurrence in all of the Bible had to do with breaking a covenant because you had hidden flesh. I don't want to hide flesh from you. I don't want you to hide flesh from your neighbor. In the name of Jesus, can we lock arms and if we limp, limp together? 
Can we run a good race? One we can be proud of. Even if it's not the best, it was broken. It was what we had to offer instead of what we thought should be offered. Turn with me to Psalms 31. Do I have your attention yet? It's funny. I uh, talked to a doctor. He was a doctor of theology, but he was speaking about himself as if he was an MD. I mean by that minor deity. And uh, he told me that the 31st Psalm was David struggling with syphilis. I don't know if I can go that far. I just, he said that these symptoms are a man with syphilis. And uh, I didn't ask him how he knew so much about syphilis. I just know it doesn't matter whether he was struggling with a physical ailment or he was struggling with sin or both. David was struggling. Somebody say struggling. Listen what comes out of his heart in the ninth verse. Be merciful to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. Oh, my goodness. Hey, Dave, how, how you doing? Can you imagine the response? I'm in terrible need of mercy. I'm in serious distress. Have you ever heard that in your life from someone? My eyes grow weak with sorrow. My soul and my body with grief. And we preach a victorious church so much that when somebody doesn't seem to be living in victory, we sweep it under the rug or push them out of the church or watch them leave. We could simply learn to bring our failures to the feet of Jesus. Heaven would tell our story. My life is consumed by anguish and my years by groaning. This is the guy with the heart after God. My strength fails because of my affliction and my bones grow weak. I don't know whether you've ever been in that situation, but I've been so pressed by physical and spiritual circumstances that I thought my nervous system was going to break down. You know, sweat's pouring out of me and I'm not in a hot place. Tears uncontrollably. I'm angry, sad, hurt all at the same moment. And just don't know what to do. We'd scream and punch something, but that's not what we do. So you fall and you're broken and you cry and it's not helping. Anybody ever been there? Yeah. Or do we only have Ken and Barbie pastors? You know? It's all beautiful. We're real estate agents for the kingdom of God selling you spaces in heaven. Because of all of my enemies, I am in utter contempt of my neighbors. Lord, I love you, but I kind of hate all of the other people that are around me. Is that going to be a problem? I find myself in a little 800 square foot apartment in Lafayette, Louisiana. Saying, I think I'm still saved. I love you. I hope I'm saved. Lord, help me stay. I don't know what I am, but I need your help because I love you, Jesus. And I don't like any of them. None. There's not one good one. You were right when you said it. Not one. And you know what? He did not despise me. He helped me up. I'm going to tell you the truth. He gave me something to do, and it saved my life. 350-pound prison guard lesbian 
approached me at a pool and asked me a question about Jesus. She could have no idea that I wanted to go jump off of a bridge headlong. I was mean to her. She said, sir, can I ask you a question? I said, lady, there's 10 other people at this pool. Why are you talking to me? Go ask somebody else. Not very godly, huh? I don't know why she was asking me. God was trying to save my life. She said, I just feel like you're the one I'm supposed to ask. What is it? She asked me a question about Jesus. And two hours later, her and her lover were sitting in our living room. And I remember God's penchant for the poor and the broken. And suddenly I could feel useful because I was low as a worm. I could skydive off of a dime and hang my feet off of a nickel. Because I suddenly had a purpose again. Somebody wanted something of worth from me. You've been broken. How did you survive it? Because of all of my enemies, I am in utter contempt of my neighbors and I dread and am a dread to my friends. Those who see me on the street flee from me. You ever seen somebody in Walmart that you know? <laughs> Suddenly they didn't know you? I have been there. I am forgotten by them as though I were dead. I have become like, what's that word? Broken pottery. Maybe like an alabaster jar. And the Lord says, it smells like perfume to me. It smells like the intimacy of a man who could be my close friend. Because you, son, know what you need from me. I'm your everything or I'm nothing. When he breaks you into pieces like pottery, he's all you have. And he loves it. We have it all together. We have so many things. Do you measure your worth by your Facebook friends? I wouldn't even measure your worth by your Facebook stock. Have y'all seen it? Broken pottery. This is where David was. I don't like my friends. They don't like me. They don't acknowledge me. I'm not. I, I, Lord, I am in distress here. I feel like broken pottery. Look in verse 21 what the Lord says to him. Praise be to Yahweh, for he showed his wonderful love to me when I was in a besieged city. Who does the Lord rescue? The one who is outnumbered. Who does the Lord stand between those who think they're righteous and are attacking those who know they're not? The living God is close to the brokenhearted, friends. In my alarm, somebody say alarm. We hate alarm. We hate it when it goes off in the morning and tells us to get up. And we hate it when it's in our lives. And it tells us to look up. In my alarm, I said, I am cut off from your sight. Yet you heard my cry for mercy when I called to you for help. Love the Lord, all his saints. The Lord preserves the faithful. But the proud... He pays back in full. Be strong and take heart, all you who hope in the Lord. Not all you who are strong. Be strong, all you who hope in the Lord. Oh, there's power in brokenness. It allows us to have openness 
for you to know who you're really sitting next to you, for you to know how much your brother needs you and how much you need your brother. This is how you build a community of God. It's not through the perfect manicured lawn. It's not through the three-piece suit. It's when you can see into a person and you both have something to offer each other. You find a purpose in helping your brother. Have you ever wondered in a time period before glasses, what would you do? You know? What would you do if you could not read something in front of your face, but you could see something clearly in the distance? You would probably find somebody who couldn't see things in the distance, but could read what was right in front of their face, and you might become buddies. Have you ever wondered why they went out two by two? Ecclesiastes 4 says two are better than one. One falls down, the other can pick him up, and a threefold cord is not easily broken. What if we didn't glory in our weakness to the extent or in the way that says I have a weakness and it's okay, but instead said I have a weakness and I'm trying to whip it and I could use your help. And then if you could invite Jesus' mighty spirit into that covenant relationship, It'd be a threefold cord that nobody could break. Let me ask you a question. Who really knows you? Is there anybody besides your spouse? Does your spouse really know you? I do a lot of marriage counseling. I almost always have. I never asked her. I wanted to go face headhunter cannibals. Instead, God gave me broken marriages and said, do your best to fix these. I found out people lived together for 20, 30, 40 years. And they don't tell each other the most intimate things. They don't really know what they struggle with. And so they carry on life. They just go on living. When the person that God ordained to help them is standing next to them in total ignorance. Is that fair? Say that's not fair. That's not how God intended it. And what if we go on in our church life? with our brothers and sisters in total ignorance because we were convinced we had to present everything was okay. You want heaven to tell your story? Be poor in spirit. Know your condition. Matthew 5, 3 says that. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the what? Kingdom of God. Why is theirs the kingdom? Because we have a broken kingdom. Before we leave the psalm, let's read Psalm 51, verses 16 through 19, and then I have the rest of this message for you. Have I got your attention? You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken spirit. And contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Oh, that makes such a pretty song, doesn't it? Let's talk about the man who's saying it. What's happened? He has so failed God, so failed his family, so failed his nation, so failed his fellow man, 
and he's got nothing worth. Cassidy did a word study on contrite one time and came up with something to the effect of deflated. Completely collapsed. This is who God doesn't despise. I want you to think of that woman falling at his feet. And heaven tells her story. And a man proudly sitting up as if he didn't need anything. And we tell his story too, but it means something else. He died a leper. Hmm? Tell me what God hates and what he loves. He hates pride. And he loves humility. I, I hate these messages. Can I be honest? I don't like them at all. Because one of you is going to tell me something about it in a few weeks. And I'm going to not want to hear it. And more than not want to hear it, there is somebody out there that will just do their very best to imitate what they're hearing, and I'll have to hear about everything going on in your life that nobody wants to hear about. It's not that I don't love you. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying sometimes there are matters we don't even repeat. It's okay just to walk up to your brother and say, I'm broken. I don't need to hear the seven ways in which you sinned in the last two hours. Have you ever considered we're not Catholic priests? I'm just telling you the truth. It's enough for you to come to me and say, I'm struggling with sexual immorality. You don't have to read to me the websites and tell me what you did. Okay? I would rather just... Not. I used to live in a world where I didn't know all that stuff existed. I was pretty darn shocked to find out there are some things that there are there. I'm not talking about a laundry list of new ways to invent evil. I'm simply telling somebody honestly... Let's go pray instead of watch that movie. Because if I don't go pray with you, I don't know what I'll do. And I want to get this right. I'm talking about calling your brother and saying, hey, man, what are you doing? Well, it doesn't really matter what you're doing. I need you because you're my brother. Could we, could we go get in the word? Could we? This is how you build a fellowship. My closest friends are those that have stood by me in my worst times, and I am their closest friend because I stood by them in their worst times. I admire loyalty more than anything else, and I find out Jesus does too. But loyalty is based on intimacy. It's based on openness. It's ultimately based on brokenness. I, I hate sports analogies, but I can't help it. I was standing on a football field where a man was handing me my head every play. I carried his footprint on my back for a long time. What do you do in that situation? You lean over to your buddy. In this case, it was a big fat guy named Steve. <laughs> different Steve, really different Steve. Let me come over here. Big fat guy named Steve. And I said, on the next play, I could use your help. This dude is killing me. Right? You ashamed to do that? Sometimes on the football field, somebody's going to hand you your head. That's just how it works. Do you really think in life it's different? And the beautiful thing about this is what Brent struggles with, Joe probably never considered, and that makes it perfect for them to help each other. Matthew and I, it's so funny. I get real with Matthew. I'll sit in that truck out there. That truck is like a confession booth. It breaks us both. It almost... Kills everybody who touches it to work on it. Where are you at, Richard? Thank you, man. 
The reason that I love it is he's one of those guys that I know is not going to turn around and walk out on me, and he's also not going to sympathize with whatever I did because it's not what he struggles with. Oh, that's perfect. You know? I could go find somebody who's got the same problem. As far as I can tell, Matthew's got a list of problems, and none of ours match. It's really discouraging sometimes. We were so happy when the elders messed up the trailer. It gave us something to beat up on them about. Other than that, they had a perfect record. We need to be careful we don't seek out those who will fail with us. We need to seek out those that will help us succeed and we can help them succeed. That's what brokenness and openness is. It's not a party that says, oh, you struggle with that? That encourages me so much because I struggle with it too and we can struggle together. That's ridiculous. Like mixing those with liquor license with those that have alcoholic issues, you know? We all struggle with alcohol. Yes, I can see that. Stay away from each other, you know? Turn with me to Matthew 21. Let's speak about broken kingdom. Is that okay? I think I'm finding my message here, Matthew. I was talking to some brothers about their broken lives right before. Uh, we came to church at 3 o'clock to pray, to seek God for a message, and instead we spent our time on the phone listening to broken lives. So at about 50 minutes before the service, you know what I'm doing. Oh, Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I could have sought you all week for a message. I could have been seeking your face all week, but here I am with 50 minutes. Will you help me? You end up preaching on your weaknesses like that. Here comes Matthew 21 in verse 42. But it's good we keep it real, isn't it? Jesus said to them, have you never read the scriptures? <laughs> he says this to a people who memorize the scriptures. The stone the builder rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this and it's marvelous in our eyes. There's a certain excitement in that scripture that does not fit the scene. Listen to the rest of it. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Does that sound like something you put an explanation point after? Oh, the Lord's done this and it's marvelous in our eyes. Yeah, the kingdom's taken from you. That was devastating to hear. But I want you to understand one person hates brokenness and the other learns to love it. This is the spirit in which Paul said he would glory in all of his weaknesses. Verse 44, he who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. I would like to tell you that when you encounter Jesus, it will break you. If you wait for Jesus to come and encounter you on that day, you will be crushed beyond repair. Everybody in this kingdom had to get here only one way. You're dashed against the rock of righteousness that is Jesus, and it left your heart in utter pieces because you don't compare to him. Everybody who avoids that collision and that brokenness is going to be ground by that righteousness into the very depths of hell. We preaching to anybody here? Almighty God, I love you with every little piece of my heart that is left. Broken into thousands of pieces, but I believe you can do more with those pieces than I can. 
Which brings me to something. What does God do with pieces? Isn't that worth looking at? Why would we avoid being broken into pieces? Well, it hurts. It's embarrassing. It's humiliating. You ever considered that in that 15 minutes I was struggling just to know what planet I was on? Choked unconsciously by who? My own son, man, a 12-year-old. I don't know if he weighs 90 pounds. Slipping under the water in front of my closest friend. In those 15 minutes, what if I had simply looked at my friends and said, what happened? <laughs> Why don't we do things like that? What if I just looked at my closest friends and said, could you help me? I'm not sure where I'm at. In that moment, though, you know what you're really getting? You're getting what's inside you. There's no thought. It's an instinctual response. You, don't, you may come up with your hands raised because that's what's inside you. You may come up praising. Maybe not. Might come up praising. But what is inside you is all you have to offer because your mind wasn't working two seconds earlier. There was no blood in it. And you know what comes out? Cover. Strap a fig leaf. Let everybody know you're just fine. Don't be exposed. Don't be. Anybody in here ever trip and fall? Come on. Who's tripped and fall? I'm talking physically here. This morning, who said that? Natalie, when you tripped and fell this morning, now you tell the truth. And did you look around to see who saw you? Isn't that the funniest thing? You can fall flat on your face. Yeah. Yeah. You, you fall flat on your face. You don't look to see if you're bleeding. You look to see if somebody saw you. I took a man's motorcycle one time for a test drive. And this parked, parked, did you hear that? Parked state trooper's vehicle jumped out and caught me. <laughs> And I tore his front fender all the way to his back fender with the handlebars. And then on a street called Government in Baton Rouge, I laid it on its side and slid that motorcycle down the road. Sparks. It was, it was a beautiful thing to everybody except me. And uh, it was right in front of a McDonald's on Government Street. Some of you know where that's at. And I'm wearing boots because that's, you know, that's me. And uh, I'm standing there, and the owner of the motorcycle, I was in sight of him, unfortunately. And he's using expletives in a way that I've never heard them. And I grew up in a place where you heard expletives. And uh, there's an old man with his name on his belt and a gun rack in his truck, right? Y'all got a picture there? And he says, I don't think I'd let that boy talk to me like that. What he didn't know is I'm bleeding into my boots. I'm not sure I'm going to go to the emergency room or how I would get there because that was my only ride. That I was okay. I took the verbal harassment and I moved on because that's what we do, isn't it? We're standing there bleeding in our boots. Would rather die than let somebody know there's a problem. The problem with that is you might die. That's the problem. And God called you to live. Somebody say amen. amen. There is a kingdom that is being built, and it's built by those who fall on the stone. And are broken to pieces, not those who the stone falls on. That tells us we're all going to have the same collision. Do you hear me? We're going to run into the rock of Jesus' righteousness today or then. 
And if we run into it now, it will tear your life into pieces. Pieces that God sees as sweet perfume and heaven will tell your story. If you wait till then, that righteousness is going to fall on you and the only story will be is that it's your gravestone. What does God do with pieces? Y'all turn with me to Matthew 14. When you get to Matthew 14, get to the 20th verse. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. You know what God did before this? Just a few verses before it. Jesus took loaves of bread and he broke them. How about Matthew 15, 36? Say there when you're there. Then he took the seven loaves of the fish, and when he had given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples. In Matthew 14 and Matthew 15, in Mark 6, 43, and Mark 8, 6, and in Luke 9, 16, do you know what he did every time with the loaves? He broke them so he could multiply I'm trying to tell you, friends, that what you bring the Lord, the very best you have, gets broken by him. His righteousness colliding with you shows you how messed up your life is in every direction. But then he begins to put you back together to feed other people, and he multiplies your life. He doesn't multiply a whole piece. He multiplies broken pieces. This is testified to in every single one of the Gospels. He breaks them before he multiplies them. We want to be multiplied, but we don't want to be broken. We want to arrive at the finish line without starting at the starting line. You want to get anywhere with God? It has to do with repentance. It has to do with an openness, an intimacy. He takes it as friendship. That's how he takes it. We did a baptism not that long ago. Y'all remember that? There was a great big giant man we baptized. Y'all remember him? Robert. Y'all don't remember? Or you do? When Robert came out of the water, he said, hallelujah. And from way down by my knees, his hand went up to the heavens. He punched me right in the jaw. I almost bit my tongue in half. I stood there and swallowed the blood rather than spit it out and mar our baptism. This is our gut instinct, friends, and it's wrong. I'm not suggesting that you walk around encouraging sin. I'm suggesting that we get close enough with each other that we figure out how to get victory over sin together. Amen? Look at your neighbor and say, you're going to help me, and I'm going to help you. He breaks the loaves so he can multiply them, and it is those who are poor in spirit who see the kingdom because the kingdom is a kingdom based on brokenness. That's what it is. This kingdom that we're a part of is not for those who have it all together. It's for those who are sure they don't. Turn with me to Isaiah 58. I have two more scriptures for you. Can you stand that? By the way, when we take communion together, it's one loaf that is broken into as many pieces as it takes for us all to be righteous. Are you hearing that? How many times was Jesus' body broken? 
I don't know. The answer is as many as it takes. It's broken as many times as it takes for righteousness to extend to you. Well, I did. I humbled myself today. I got born again. I humbled myself on that day. Friends, we humble ourselves every day. And if we don't, then we're cutting righteousness short. 58 verse 11. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in the sun-scorched land. He will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. He's saying this to them at the most broken place in their whole nation's history. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. Who is it that God takes and uses to repair broken walls, repair the dwellings, the habitation of other people, but especially his people? Those who were broken by his righteousness. This is the destiny of the Christian. To come into collision with the righteousness that is Christ. For it to tear your pieces to life or tear your life to pieces. Then for those pieces to get multiplied out in every direction. The way that the apostle said it is so then death is at work in us. But life in you. We're always being given over to death, he said. When did Paul not experience brokenness? How about Peter? He gets in a little disagreement. It gets written in the word forever. What if a traffic cam followed you around? You know, there's this YouTube video floating around of a pastor who is rebuking his church. I mean, he's tearing them up, and I love it. I want him to be a guest speaker. One of the reasons that I love it is this is not what pastors are taught to do. There's one moment where his little swagger kind of gets away from him. He goes, you know what I'm saying? I mean, he's incensed. He's incensed because somebody fell asleep on him in his service. Then he was incensed because somebody in the media room had an attitude problem. Then he turned on that boy's mama, and he said, now you may be one of my best patrons, and when I'm preaching to you, I'm your preacher, but I'm preaching to him, and he's a grown man last time I checked. One of the reasons that I love it, though, there's a, it may look like pride to some others. I think it's just the opposite. I think he got to a place where if he didn't feel like he was completely transparent and honest, it wasn't worth doing. <laughs> you ever had a conversation that you didn't want to have but you knew you needed to? He had it publicly. It's all over YouTube. And he said, if you guys don't want me anymore, me and Miss Connie, that must be his wife, I hope that'd make this a better story. Get in our little Pontiac and go down the road. If we could get to a place where we're just simply real. I'd like to tell you about the second occurrence of this word in the Bible is, of broken. Is that okay? First one was about a broken covenant. Second one's about the lineage of Christ. You can find this in Genesis 38. Look at verse 27. When the time, sorry, when the time, <laughs> when the, I'm looking down. 
When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. As she was giving birth, one of them put out his hand. So the midwife took a scarlet thread and tied it on his wrist and said, this one came out first. But when he drew back his hand, his brother came out and said, it came out and she said, <laughs> going to say he speaks from birth. When he drew back his hand, his brother came out and she said, so this is how you have broken out. And he was named Perez. Then his brother who had a scarlet thread on his wrist came out and he was given the name Zara. The first occurrence of broken in the Bible is when somebody broke a covenant. The second is when the one who looked like they were going to be in last place on second born fought to get into the lineage of Jesus. Perez makes it into the lineage of Jesus. He may have been destined to be second born, but he fought to make it into the lineage of Jesus. Maybe his brother Zara was born with the scarlet cord and everybody loved him, but Perez arrived at the finish line. Friends, in our brokenness, it puts us in a whole different family. In our pride, we stay in a family we were born into, and you don't want to finish in. I want to encourage you as we take communion to let this be a real time for you. We could preach and preach and preach and preach, but at the end of it, it's not really about preaching, is it? It's about living. You have this commitment for me. Not just that we're transparent. We're already trying to be transparent. But in those moments that other people don't think matters, we will not tell you everything's perfect when it's not. We'll love you enough to invite you into our struggle so that you can be a part of the success with us. After all, that really is what it means when brothers are born for adversity. Y'all want to be family? Yes. Then love your brother even when they're going through it. Want to be family? And when everybody else is throwing rocks at them, give them a hug and take the shot for them. Amen? Let's stand to our feet.